Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Colossians. And what page is that, Morgan? 8... 835. Okay, 835. So if you have your Bible, go to the Colossians. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you, you can grab that 835. And uh, we are landing the plane. Thanks to Greg for kind of helping this too a few weeks ago as he sort of had his additional thoughts with Colossians. And uh, so we just want to uh, land the plane on the book of Colossians today. It's a little, little letter in the back half of your Bible, so you may flip through it and you may miss it. So hopefully you can get to there. And it's a letter by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Colossae. And it was a little small town off Turkey. And you can read it in one sitting. It's very dense. Uh, But hopefully, if I can, part of my responsibility is to communicate to you uh, help you read the Bible each and every little bit more every week. So as we discover this, we work through this uh, together. And so uh, this is this um, big value of mine is just to have you read the Bible. So the supremacy of Christ. Supremacy of Christ. And um, this is a book that's all about Jesus being the supremacy of Christ and having him supreme authority in our lives. So what does it look like when Christ is the absolute highest authority in our lives? This is what the book of Colossians is all about. When we have Jesus as our greatest treasure and highest authority over our lives, and we pray that God, and for each one of our lives, that God is the most, the absolute highest object of our authority in our lives. So that's, that is my prayer, my prayer for each of you as a church, for me, and so yeah, Jesus would be above all else and over all things. Here's sort of the big theme, okay? If you just want like one little theme over Colossians, it is that the, the gospel is the supremacy of Christ, and that changes everything for us. And that means good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has come, and he's the greatest gift for all humanity, and he has saved us from sin and death for every single human heart. So we've said this. Colossians 1.18 is a signature verse. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so we have said this, that he's the head of the church. And when sin entered the world, it separated us from God and separated us. And God in Christ has come to rescue us. And God has come to the person, through the person of Jesus, bringing the supreme object and treasure of what it means to truly follow Jesus. And it absolutely changes everything. When we grasp the gospel and we understand it, it absolutely changes everything. Just a very short view of the book of Colossians. This is a little small town. Paul writes this to a young church at this point, a young group of Christians off the coast of Turkey. And he, he writes this to help them grasp what it means to follow Jesus in some very fierce cultural winds that were in their face. It was caving in. And all these churches have a purpose and tension for their writing. And Paul writes to these churches. He has purpose behind them and intention behind them. And so they're wondering a lot of the same things we wonder. How does it look? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to, to walk into the ways of Christ? What does it look like to, to faithfully live out the gospel in today's world? And so uh, they were wondering many of the same things that we wonder as well. And we said this, so just a few of the refresher of some of the things we've talked about. You see, as a Christian, the greatest object and treasure of the heart is the person and work of Christ. And we have a joy that the world does not know about because Christ is our greatest treasure. 
And in our lives and in our hearts and in our beings, we bring forth supremacy over all things and all things. That the heart, the greatest treasure of the heart is the person of Christ. We have a joy that the world does not know about, and that changes everything for us. Another little, we've said this over the course of the last several weeks, but that any other dominant reality other than Jesus will not satisfy us. That Christ is the supreme being over all things, and he is supreme and the highest authority over all, through all, in all things, in all relationships. And if Christ is supreme and Lord over all, he's Lord over the relationships of our lives as well. And as we've walked through Colossians, we understand that it's not just simply Christ as this high being and sort of pie in the sky as well, but it actually influences the relationships around us, and it actually causes us to live a little bit differently in the world around us. And we've talked about this as well. And Kent Hughes, he's an author, he says it like this, that, that he says this about some of the things that we've, we've talked about. We've said that uh, we, we as Christians put on different kinds of clothes, and when we put on different kinds of clothes, we look and act and feel differently than the world around us in relationships around us. And so all these, this is what he says, one fact about this wardrobe, this is really from chapter three, uh, it's sort of the kind of the practical things in this as well, but all these garments can only be in community with others in relationships. How tempting to think that these garments could be so much easier to wear if we didn't have to wear them among people. How much easier to think about compassion than to do it. How much easier to be kind when we're away from mean people. It would be far easier to put on humility and meekness if we weren't being jostled by the proud and the assertive. How much easier patience is in isolation. But that is not the way it works. Because Christians become better Christians in community, in their families, among their associates, in their dorms, in their churches, where there's sweat and breath. The truth is, the very things that we may think are keeping us from putting on these garments are the things that make possible their wearing. You see, put on is a present imperative. Put on and keep putting on these garments and keep putting them on. So we're going to go to Colossians 4, set our sails there to this morning, and I uh, just want us to have that picture of Christ as the supreme head for all things, over all people, including our lives as well, and that overflows to the world around us as well. So we're going to set our sails to Colossians chapter 4, and hey, if you do not call this church home, uh, make sure you find a home that teaches and preaches the scriptures faithfully. Uh, it's available in that Bible uh, in front of you and on the screen behind me. So verses 2 through 6, we're going to read Colossians chapter 4. It says, devote yourselves to what? Prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you should act toward outsiders. Make most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of what, church? Grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer to everyone. And I'm not sure what feelings arise in you when you hear about telling people about Jesus. There's this kind of like indifference or uncertainty or sort of this kind of like, I cringe kind of thing. Maybe a touch of shame or anxiety when it comes to this. I don't know how you feel about that, but it can be a little bit overwhelming for us. And there's different kinds of feelings when we have this. But you see, God actually intends to partner with us to spread the gospel. We cooperate with the Spirit of God, bring forth the message of Christ to those around us, and we do this by praying. So we start by praying, and he prays that an open door would be proclaimed for which he is in chains. He prays for this, and his situation is that he is in prison. He's writing to the church in Colossians, and he's praying that an open door would be spread while in chains. And how amazing is that to think? 
I mean, the substance is here. He's not praying, God, please pray that the chains be released from me. But I pray that the gospel would be spread even now while I'm in chains. And he prays that the message of Christ be spread to other people. And it's amazing. And we know this reality from Paul. We know this, that God can use you no matter what circumstance you're in in life. Whether you're in a dire situation, whether you're in a frustrating situation, a difficult relationship, God can use you no matter where you are in life at this given moment in time. He will and can use you for his glory. When we devote, it says that we are devote, devote ourselves to pray. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And one translation says persistence in prayer, continual prayer. And the Lord encouraged this by telling the story of a widow who got her way with an uncaring judge because she nagged him. And it was a parable, Luke says, to the the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, 1. And continual prayer was the abiding presence of the early church, Acts chapter 1 and 2. And the apostles were all constantly encouraging prayer. When Paul challenged the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, full, continual communication with God. And if we're to communicate, we communicate to others as well. Because when we pray, it's an overflow of our heart toward other people. We tell others about Jesus and tell others, and we communicate with God and we communicate with others out of that overflow. And so our constant communication with God is a reflection of our speech toward other people. And Paul emphasizes this prayer for the church in his other letters. He says that prayer is the primary work of God's people. It is the primary task of congregations to persevere in prayer. We find this all across Paul's letters and all of his writings. It is the primary task, church, for us to pray. And we are to be people expectant in prayer. And when we communicate with God, we ought to expect encounters with other people to tell them about the Lord. Expect God to move when we mobilize and move together in prayer. We ought to expect that and expect encounters with the risen Jesus. There's an author, his name's F.F. Bruce. He says like this, Paul's encouraging the Colossians to practice expectant prayer attuned to spiritual and material realities concerned about personal and global matters. Pray expectantly because God wants to use you to advance the gospel because you are a part of his plan and you are part of his purpose in life. There is a clear prayer for clear proclamation here for conversation to be made and also just for clarity and for the wisdom we ought to act toward other people as well. In verse 4, it says, Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And Paul acknowledged this, that prayer makes all the difference when communicating the Lord and communicating the gospel to other people. This great story that comes, maybe you've heard of Hudson Taylor before, and there was this mission station that was particularly blessed in the China Inland Mission far above the others. There seemed to be no accounting for this because others were equal in devotion and in ability. Hudson Taylor was traveling and speaking in England, and after a meeting, a man came up and began to ask him about that particular station. And he began to ask many personal questions. And it turned out the man had been a college roommate of the missionary at that station many years earlier, and he had committed himself to daily praying for the work there. Hudson Taylor said, then I knew the answer after praying, for daily praying. He said, then I knew the answer. And because prayer makes all the difference, church. And when we think of kind of this evangelism or sharing our faith, for many of us, it's, we think we have to have the right words and whatnot. But I believe like we also have to have, as Paul says here, does our conduct reflect one that's been with Jesus? Does our conduct reflect that? Then, then we have to ask ourselves, does our speech reflect one that's been with Jesus as well? You see, because we live, we tell, but we also 
by the way we live, we share with others and interact with others. We live this out in our speech with one another. This is a both-and paradigm for followers of Christ. There is the substance of this prayer for the entirety of the book of Colossians is all governed by the authority of Jesus. And sometimes we kind of pull one way or the other. We're like, we have to have the right words, don't have to have the right actions as well. We kind of pull both-and, the verbal and sort of just the action part as it pertains to the work of Jesus. And as Christians, we've seen Christians verbally spread the gospel, and indeed, sometimes it lacks, and vice versa, right? And so there's opportunities all around us, church, to make an impact for the cause of Christ. You see, we are missionaries everywhere all the time. And you, church, we are missionaries everywhere all the time. Word and deed, orators and imitators of the risen Christ, because our words should be characterized by grace and wisdom, and we ought to make a habit of speech that's seasoned with salt. Did you notice that little phrase? Seasoned with salt, because that was a common theme and metaphor of the day. Salt was a preserving tool of the day, but it was the main source of flavor of the day as well. We represent Christ in the way we converse with people. It doesn't matter what stage of life or old, young, it doesn't matter. We represent Christ in our speech if we follow him. And we ought not to discredit the name and message of Christ and not discredit it through a lack of integrity or tact or love. But this doesn't mean diluting the truth either. We ought to not dilute the truth of Jesus and the truth of the scriptures. We ought to not dismiss the truth, nor should we should, but we should do so with good salt and flavor for others to know and for others to have around us. So we ought to know this as well, church, that we should engage in meaningful conversation while being willing to spend time listening to others and believing in the truth of Jesus. Um, this is for everybody, if you call yourself a Christian, but also those who do not. We, we should know how to answer to everyone. We, we, this is how the gospel is advanced, and the mission of the church is spread. It spreads through the lives of others and by fervent and consistent prayer. This is how the church advances in its mission in the world. We ought to engage in meaningful conversation by being willing to spend time with and listen to others and believing in the truth of Jesus. It's verse 7. So as we read verse 7, there's, um, I don't know about you, but there's a tendency when you read the Bible sometimes to skip over names. I'm going to read a bunch of names. And now I know, don't hold your excitement, um, but okay. Um, there's, there's purposes to these names, and there's purposes to those genealogies way back in Leviticus that, you know, we'll just leave it there. But there's purposes to this. We'll talk a little bit about this and what it means. Now, I do ask for your grace as I work through some of these because some of these are a bit hard to pronounce. So just be mindful of that as we go to verse 7. But there's purposes to this church. So we're going to go to verse 7. Tychius will tell you about all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. And I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow brother Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the, the cousin of Barnabas. You received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the pronunciation of that, but Justice also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, for they have approved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, 
mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and in Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of Laodicea, Laodicea and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus. Now, this, you're like reading letters and all this stuff. Well, the church at that point was house churches. So they had to kind of instruct people to do this because there wasn't necessarily building or structures at this point. And the church met in homes. So these are kind of instructions as well as encouragement to all these people. So it says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. Now, you may have heard those list of names, and maybe some of you have fallen asleep. I don't know if anyone's asleep yet. Um, uh, you may have fallen asleep at the beginning of the message, but you, now you're really asleep. Um, anyway, but we kind of, there's this indifference about, there's just always these kind of like, what are names for? Like, why is this important? We know a few things about these people, uh, because they had encounters with Jesus, and they were completely changed because of it. I just want to highlight a few of these people for just a minute. Tychus is only mentioned just five times in the scriptures, but we can kind of draw some very distinct conclusions about his experience in his life. And Tychus popped up at the end of Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. And since he was a native of the province of Asia, of which Ephesus was the major city, we think that he was probably a convert of Paul's long ministry in Ephesus. And he probably was born in that city and lived there, and he found new life under Paul's ministry. And he probably witnessed the great uh, kind of the probably witnessed the great Ephesian silversmiths riot against Paul, which is highlighted and prompted the apostle to leave Ephesus for Macedonia in Acts 19 and 20. And so Tychius experienced a lot of danger, probably saw a lot of things in his life. And he experienced, he decided in a short time, he's probably experienced a lot of danger himself, shared this immense bravery, just like Paul did. And a short time later, when Paul decided to return to Jerusalem, where he would ultimately be arrested, Tychius was one of the seven who accompanied him as a traveling companion in Acts 20, verses 4. Very likely, he carried with him the Ephesians' offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And we notice what these verses reveal about, reveal about his character. In verse 7, Paul called him a beloved brother, and he was greatly loved by Paul and the church in Rome, and that was no small thing. Many kings and presidents and senators have never accomplished this in life. <laughs> he was a faithful minister or servant in verse 7. No hint. There is no hint of him being a great thinker or orator, but only a servant a title assumed by the Lord Jesus himself. And someone have said that the greatest ability in the world is dependability. And in this, Tychius was an immensely gifted man, a faithful servant of God. There's another guy that pops out. His name is Onesimus. And Onesimus, we know from Paul's letter to Philemon, that it was Philemon's errant slave. And from it, we understand that Onesimus probably was a very difficult person. And Philemon had become a Christian and was for completely could become a Christian, and then was not the overbearing and sensitive master that he, that some were, and probably maybe he once was as well. And his Christian theology taught that he and Onesimus were equal before God, and would have to answer to God for their actions. And Onesimus was, moreover, Onesimus was an unbelieving slave. To quote his own self-evaluation, maybe he was even useless from Philemon eleven. 
Miserable and ungrateful Onesimus had stolen from Philemon and had fled to Ephesus and then on to Rome to become lost in the anonymity of the huge and faceless populace where instead of losing himself, he was found by his master's Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, when we talk about these names and when we talk about these letters, we hear these names and when Paul has these partners in the gospel, you see, the task of spreading the gospel takes the work of the church. It takes us as a team. It takes all of us, and as we've seen throughout all these people mentioned, different functions, different people, all unified in different giftings, and all come together under the umbrella of Jesus. And so as we exercise and flex our muscles, we have certain giftings, all of us used for the same things, but for the cause of the edification of the body and for the mission of the church. You see, God, church, is still... 2023 is still in the business of redeeming lives. For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, God's still in the business of redeeming lives. And when we hear that, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him. We understand that a lot of times, church, our emptiness is a great a great way for God to fill us. <laughs> when we come to God empty, it's a great resource, a great thing for God to fill us and to use us. And a great thirst. When we come to him in opportunities for fullness, their weakness for his strength, maybe their thirst for his filling, their misery for his joy, their meaningless for his purpose, God fills all of that. When we come to him broken, we come to him empty, we come to him with open hands and open hearts as well. And so as we think about this, as we think about Colossians, as we think about this even verses, as we even discover the first few verses of this, to devote ourselves to prayer, to be watchful and thankful, as we're walking through the hallways at school, as we are walking through life, as we're walking through the grocery store, and you know, who are the people, who's the person even now that God's put on your mind? Who is the person that needs Jesus? Who is the person that God has specifically put on your mind? It's not by accident as well. And ask this as well. What will be my prayer for them? What is the prayer that, that I want to pray on behalf of them, that God would use me to speak through them and to them through me? What is the prayer that I want them to know, but also help me, God, to live that out and through that prayer, live that out for the betterment of the mission of God for the world. So what's going to be my prayer for them, but how am I going to live that out as a person who is seasoned with salt, has opportunities, and has conversations full of grace? So may that be the prayer as well. And then ask yourselves, all of us, including myself, what message do I want my life to convey to them? As we think about people, and as we think about praying for open doors, as we pray about God doing this through us, we want to ask what message I want our lives to convey to them in conduct, in speech, in action, in the way we act toward them, in the way we walk with them and toward them. So we have to ask ourselves, and what message do I want my life to convey to them as well? And so we've, this is sort of kind of, the, kind of the whole gamut of Colossians, which is a very short book, but it's the prayer for the church, and it's, I think it's a timeless truth timeless prayer for all of us, that you see all of our existence spent with family or at work, whether it be unimportant or important, 
is submitted to and lived for the glory of Jesus. All of life, including all of our existence as a church, but even for us as Christ followers, is, all of it is submitted to and lived for the glory of Jesus. And the heart of this is the context of relationships, really. The heart of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ in the context of relationships. And it says, whatever you do, church, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And that's a signature verse. There's a lot of signature verses, but I think verse 17 uh, verse 17, but also just even in the context of whatever you do in, verse, in, in chapter 3, a couple of those in 23 and verse 17, 23, 24, uh, show us what it truly means to follow Jesus and what it means to truly um, follow him and receive what he wants for us and to live for the glory of Jesus in our lives. And so the heart of this is relational. And so my prayer is that the, we as a church would be done, do everything in the glory of Christ and do everything to bring honor and glory to his name.